Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, your co-host, Mackenzie Koss. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Lacey Hoff, who's held positions as associate producer at Universal Creative, being a brand manager at Warner Bros. And currently, she's the owner and creative director at Crush Studios. Welcome on, Lacey. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. I think this is exciting. We're so happy to have you. Uh, Do you mind talking a little bit about your experience in the creative industry and the steps that you took to eventually start Crush Studio? I actually was an English major in college. And I've struggled off and on with the fact that I don't have a design degree on paper, although it seems to be working out okay for me so far. But I I tell that because I I was very lucky that when I graduated, my career course corrected itself almost immediately. My very first job was as an editor for a technical engineering magazine. And I was working in gray cubicles at a gray desk. And I was in Ohio. So the sky was gray too. Um, (laughs) I but I would get in trouble for talking. Like after being on the job for two weeks, I was getting in trouble for talking. And I was like, hmm, I am really extroverted. Maybe being an editor is like not a great career choice. <laughs> so I was there for only, uh, I don't know, six or eight months and basically harassed these people for this job posting I had found as a production assistant at a museum design firm. And they were really part of the Science Center in Columbus, Ohio, which is COSI. And Ended up, because I was laid off and I just kept bugging them, finally went in as a production assistant. I did everything from running to Home Depot, probably two or three times a day to get hardware for our engineers, to helping our designers put CAD packages together at midnight, and then also going with the president of our company to trade shows and doing my favorite thing, which was talk um, and talk and tell people about the creative services we offered. So I was really my time at COSI, which then became Roto um, later. The It was kind of like the design wing of COSI split off and started working for other children's museums and science centers. But my four years with them really laid the, the groundwork for my whole career and also just brought a lot of order to the design process for me and then how I moved through the rest of my career. So from Roto, I then went on to Universal Studios Creative Group in Orlando, Florida. And after about two months there, was put on a small little project called The Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) some people have heard of it. Um, And that was just an incredible experience. And I'm just, you know, this girl from Ohio. I mean, I still feel like this about my work now, but I was like, what am I doing in this room? Like flew to London was um, my first events before I was actually even really doing events was to put on the presentations to help Warner Brothers, as well as the filmmakers and stakeholders um, agree to even doing the park in the first, to doing the theme park in the first place. So I was went on, I stayed with Universal for about a year and a half and uh, took an opportunity to actually go to Warner Brothers, work directly for Warner Brothers and move to LA. I was with Warner Brothers for about a year and a half working in global brand management. So I took a little bit of a departure from design and production and then was laid off in 2008 and realized that I really, I mean, my love was always design and production and it still is to this day. 
But I just was like, oh my gosh, I've worked on these tentpole films at Warner Brothers. I worked on one of the biggest brands in the world. And I learned a lot about working with like brand guidelines and how to tell a story and make an experience around rules and restrictions. And at that point, what was emerging as experiential marketing was really a nice overlap for those um, those two areas for me. So went on to work for Allied Experiential for about six years and started just kind of helping out as a freelancer. And then that grew into being their design director pretty quickly. And I was with them um, until about 2015. And my passion was always really being more part of a design team and less of an agency focus. And so left and had started freelancing and then started getting some calls from friends, you know, could you build this set or this wall? And um, I was like, well, it got busy enough that I thought I should hire an assistant and then realized I probably needed a name for the company. And so it just kind of grew from there and have just been really fortunate to build a company. We have a workshop now where we do testing and mock-ups and, painting and um, get, get to play with all of the materials and that fun stuff while also just being more immersed in the design process and really going through a more traditional aspect of like concept design, schematic design, detail, and then into production. So why do you think experiential resonates so well? Is there something that led you to experiential that's maybe customer focused or, or the result focused? This is a softball question. Thank you. <laughs> um, it it really goes back to the experience I had six months on the job when I was at Roto or at COSI. Um, one of my interview questions when I got brought on there was to describe a memorable experience from my past. And I was like, it was COSI. I, I remember going with my parents when I was little. And so the time I spent with him there, it was so cool because you knew you were designing experiences for families, for little kids, and, you know, that they were learning about new things, but that they were doing these hands-on um, activities and they were playing, but their parents and families were also engaged. And so it was really easy for me when I was working at Brodo to make that leap of like how this impacts people. And it's just something I've always carried throughout my career. I am an extrovert, but I'm just so curious about people and I love having fun. And so I think to be able to create spaces and experiences that are memorable for people and they get pulled out of their day to day and they're engaging just with their environment, but the people that they're either attending with or even people that they don't know that are in the space. Sometimes our job is to actually make it more comfortable for people to engage and to network. So, but what I also love from like this nerdy scientific standpoint is how your environment affects how you behave in the space. So it's just always been about human connections. And then the fact that it is combined with interior design in a sense has just been like the absolute perfect combination for me. It seems like such a, a, a nuanced thing to take a brand which largely exists in a two-dimensional space or if they sell a product at a store or in like the the, the setting that that product exists in um, and bring people yeah. into a space that's sort of a, I, I want to say the word personification of this brand in real life, but yeah. What is the approach to, to taking a brand and maybe you can use a brand that you've worked on or some, a project that you really enjoyed and uh, 
creating an experience that then people live through rather than just, you know, usually brands are just transactional or, you know, advertisements are sort of universally understood to be like, you just consume them. Oh, I watched that commercial. I saw that ad. Uh, but a brand experience, mm -hmm. which happens, I think more and more lately, um, is this sort of wonderful, unique thing where each, each experience is so crafted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think personification is a, a great way to descri describe it because it is a living, breathing animal. And I had this realization uh, last year, I actually lost a pet and I was cleaning the house after um, I'd had to say goodbye to her. And I was just, you know, kind of thinking, gosh, this really is messy to have a pet. And then I also had the realization, you know, all the good things in life are kind of messy. And it's a little bit of a leap, but hang with me. It's just that events are a little messy and they're really stressful and they're really hard. But I just think that most of the fun things in life are a little messy. Um, most of the things we love are messy. And so I think for us, being able to kind of celebrate the messy, chaotic process of bringing an event, event to life, but then being able to deliver it at a level that lives up to brand standards and brand guidelines, I think that's one part of the equation. And then I think to your point about personifying these brands, I think for me, I'm just always driven by the creativity and the challenge of it of how do you make a corporate brand emotionally connect with people when they're at these events and they're being marketed to by a lot of different brands? How do you make your brand stand out and um, tell that story? And I would say I rely so much on my you know, museum days and my days at Universal everything that you do in theme design is really story driven. So, you know, for the Harry Potter ride, there's, you know, a really long script, like every beat is written out, even though you're not hearing audio for everything. It's like, this is what the guest experiences every step of the way. And you learn whether things belong in that world or they don't belong in that world. And in the case of, you know, Harry Potter, we have seven books to be able to pull from now even more. But you know, we had the books and we would literally spend an hour or our lunchtime discussions would all be focused around what you could do in the world and what you couldn't do in the world. And like, well, this is the way the book describes it. This is the way they realized it in the movie. And I had done that to a different degree as well at, um, when I was working on the children's museums and science centers. But I think it's just that idea of having a story. Um, a lot of the activations that we do they were celebrating a concept or a theme, you know, maybe you were at Sundance. And so we're trying to bring out this wintry vibe, but I mean, we use it all the way down to like the trash cans that we choose for the space. Like, does this trash can belong in the space or does it not belong in the space? And really try to keep every detail dialed in. And so you might be working with a concept or a theme for that particular event, but then you're also trying to represent the larger brand and we never want to lose the bigger brand or have the brand, you know, one-upped by what the event is that you're at. So it's it's just trying to, to um, also balance those. I want to go back to, you mentioned that in a lot of these experiences, one of the goals might be to, to have people let their guard down and maybe experience something fun or something joyful or something that ties into sort of an emotional 
aspect, how important are those sort of fun activations? How important is the social media aspect? Because I, I can imagine that a, a lot of the tertiary goals are going to be for this to become a memory that lives in some sort of social media. It's been interesting because I've been doing experiential marketing for over 10 years now, whereas the beginning of my career was just design and production. We just care about families. You know, they're paying a ticket price to come in and have fun. And so, you know, our ROI is a little different now. Um, I think in it's it's been interesting with 10 years to see the way it's ebbed and flowed. And I'm still trying to observe right now the aftermath of even COVID. Um, I would say in the beginning, it was all about amplification and it was less about influencers, but it, it I would say the entire 10 years, the social media has been an aspect of it. And then I think probably before COVID, we were at a point where, you know, we made a joke that every time a client said they wanted Instagrammable moments, we would like drink. We're like, it's just, we know you want Instagrammable moments. We got it. We, we like, you know, we know. Um, and then, you know, there's the phase where it's more about influencers. And some of our events are heavier focused for getting good shots with influencers or good shots with talent. Um, so we have to be aware of um everything looking camera ready all of the time. We've also done some uh, set design and production for commercials. And I think that's helped too, because it's helped really train our eye for um, what the lighting is like and making sure that the logos are popping because none of it's an accident. It's, it's really all planned out to make sure that things look good on camera. We have a lot of clients that will tell us that they want the logos to be shiny and glossy I get it from a brand standpoint, but I can just tell you it doesn't look good on camera. Like I know. <laughs> and so we, you know, that's where you just get more comfortable as you go along with where to push back. And just if this needs to look good on camera, we need to produce it in this way because it's going to pop more and it'll it'll look better across photos. After COVID, I think everybody was so inundated with, you know, being online and everything is digitally driven that I'm actually really excited for where we are right now, I still think there's going to continue to be a very big push for events and spaces and backdrops being Instagrammable and like social media worthy. Right. But I think consumers are getting savvier too. You can't just put up a, a wall with a bunch of logos on it. That is just not really getting posted and shared unless you're at something like, you know, the Met Gala or like you know, something that you really do want to blast out, but just a brand logo name, I think consumers are getting too savvy for. So we've got to be more integrative in our approach. Um, so it's fun to just kind of watch the arc of it. Can you talk about your yeah. philosophy for drawing inspiration when you are sort of tasked with uh, coming up with a project for for a brand? Yeah. So we one of the things I borrowed from my time at Universal Creative was in our weekly team meetings there. We, I think we had, I don't know, maybe 20 on my individual team at uh, Universal. We started every meeting with just what's new. And it was probably less than 60 seconds. It was probably 30 seconds per person then. But we just would all go around the table and share either, you know, maybe it was a concert you went to or a new show that you're watching or a book that you read. Um, and so that was something that I really wanted to bring to crush when I started it. So we start, every, we have one weekly standing meeting where we just kind of do a really fast kind of take like hot items on each item and then cover off on any housekeeping admin stuff. But we start each meeting with what's new and everybody has 90 seconds. 
And the rule is that, you know, ideally you share something from the real world and you get bonus points, <laughs> pretend bonus points if you do that. And you're always allowed to punt and share something from Instagram or Pinterest as well, which are also very valuable resources. And I will never undercut them. They're, we use those tools all the time, but I think they're a tool. And so I, the goal is just to really challenge our team that our eyes are always open and that there's inspiration coming from everywhere. And, you know, even having 20 years in design and production, I still will be out at a restaurant that's just a neighborhood restaurant. And I'm like, I didn't ever think to pair those two materials together that way. And so what I find that my submissions for what's new each week is usually just like looking at my phone to see what I took pictures of. <laughs> but I also find that I would say most times that when we're kicking off a project, I am kind of thinking about the subject matter and I almost always am pulling something from either a museum I've gone to or a different exhibit I've gone to or a concert and the way they used lighting. And then I think I'm almost always marrying it up with some online inspiration as well. Um, certainly that's one of the easier things that's happened in my career that, you know, access to inspiration photos and is much more readily accessible than it was, you know, earlier in my career, not to date myself too much. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love that being able to do that as a team, because I think about if I'm in a creative rut, I'll go outside. Like that's where I get yeah. my inspiration is literally going on a walk, which I know everybody's yes. doing walks now, which is great. You should be walking, but being outside and not being plugged into anything, your mind is able to just start to wander and start to piece things together. So I really like that idea of inspiration in real life first, and then you can even take that inspiration and combine it with things that you might see online, or like you said, the tools from Pinterest and Instagram and kind of like combine right. them together. Right. And sometimes it's like the aesthetics from outside and then you know, thinking of what the programming or the engagement aspect is. And then sometimes it's the other way around. Um, I, I use this story a lot and it's, it's a little bit macabre, but I had gone to an amazing museum in DC, which is, and they have the best, such wonderful museums, but I'd gone to the Holocaust Museum. And this is something that the theme parks have employed as well, but really encouraging people to emotionally connect, to take on the role of a character. Um, so in the Holocaust Museum situation, it's really hard. Be, I mean, it is like pulling on emotional heartstrings and, and rightfully so. We were tasked with a press preview a few years ago. And the question from our client was like, how do we get these editors to engage with a subject that they know nothing about? And I, you know, that's not the, this trip to the museum in DC is not something that I think about every day. I can't even tell you the last time I thought about it. And like all of a sudden it had occurred to me. And I've, like I said, I've seen it employed in a couple different situations, but I was like, ah, what if we give them this invitation and it really invites them to take on this role of a character. And I find that the things that stick with me the most are the things that I have experienced in real life. And I don't really remember images that I found on Pinterest from three years ago or from even 20 years ago, first of all, it didn't exist but that I still can relate and remember um, an experience from a museum 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, they're like the original experiential uh, 
locations. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I yeah. feel like people are Absolutely. there to sort of absorb art in this sort of curated uh, sanctuary where you can just focus and glean the information and learn about the artists and and form opinions. Well, and I think I actually say that a lot with my clients is that I was actually doing experiential before experiential marketing existed because that is what you do in museums and, um, you know, public gatherings like that. And so it's kind of interesting how it ended up coming full circle and now it's being, you know, employed so much with, with events, although, you know, we're happy to use it there too. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like museums and then theme parks, like those, the, the more immersive theme parks that are, uh, sort of being created, it, it feels like the same thing. We're trying to transport people outside of the world they're used to into mm -hmm. a world that they can just play and be, be in awe. Right. Like, yeah. I feel like that's the, yeah. I feel like we're rarely in awe on social media. I feel like we're like, oh yeah, uh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that feeling of awe comes from like, oh, I'm, I'm outside of my day to day. This is, yeah. this is new. Yeah. You're hitting on all my buzzwords, which is like transporting people, um, we use surprise and delight a lot, uh, but it, it's exactly that it's, and that's what makes me light up too, is that it's just so easy for us to go through the day to day and check things off lists and, you know, hustle to the next meeting and hustle to the next, you know, whatever. And so to get to create places and experiences that pull people out of the day to day and just ignite a little spark of joy or sense of wonder within them. And last year we did the Marriott Bonvoy by Chase sponsorship tent for the Charleston Food and Wine Festival. And we think of a theme every year and the theme was the world is your playground. And so the concept was what does kind of like an adult playground look like? And the Marriott Bonvoy by Chase card is so geared towards travel. And so it was like, great, like, you get to have adults playing a little bit. We get to talk about the world and traveling. And so it was really fun to get to marry those two things. And I was following some guests up to the second floor and which was the, the VIP uh, card member dedicated space. And I walked in behind a couple and of course they don't know who I am. And I walked in and the wife turns around to um, her partner and says, now this is where we belong. And that is like it for me because she is connecting with a brand. So in terms of, you know, my clients definitely got that quote at the end of the event, but just for me, I, I feel like I'm so lucky to get to create spaces to help people have these experiences. It feels like, uh, when like a movie director just goes to some random theater and just like, just to hear yeah. what, a, what an audience thinks. Yeah, it totally but I, I will say, I mean, I do think the human connection aspect is always such an important part of it, too. And, and just back to whether you're a small child experiencing a theme park or a museum or whether you're an adult experiencing, you know, the Charleston Food and Wine Festival. And that is what I love about working with the brands is that they are providing services to a lot of our work is in entertainment locations, food and wine festivals, film festivals, that kind of thing. And so we're always getting to provide some amenities and lounges and really nice hangout spots. And so I like 
that we're providing a service, but it's also just they're always experiencing it with somebody. And that's creating a memory for them in their own, you know, personal life as well. Can you talk about any standout projects that you've worked on? I know that even going through Crush's website, it's just beautiful experience after beautiful yeah. experience. Um, I'm curious if there's anyone that uh, I know asking people their favorites when they're at the creator is is very hard, but is there anything that you, uh, any particular project that stands out for you? Yes, to your point, there's so many along the way. And what I love is how unique each event is. You always have different problems you're solving for and different themes you get to play with. So that in and of itself, I love. Um, I would say probably two of my biggest standouts. Um, one was a uh, tent tented space. I use the word tent loosely a tenant space for Zappos, at the Wonderlust Festival, which is like a yoga um, and mindfulness uh, retreat. They, I think they have, they have lots of them all over the US now, but this one was in um, Lake Tahoe. And I think that one I loved so much because we got off the client call with Zappos and got the briefing on what they wanted to do. And I kind of already was starting to get this vision of what I wanted. And I just, you know, started sketching some things and started pulling up some photos. So I keep a library of photos in addition to Pinterest. Like I Pinterest, I love it, but it's so distracting the way it's constantly feeding you new images that I almost like as an ADHD person, I cannot focus because I'm like, ooh, it's just like the continual yes. like clicking to the next page. Yeah. So first of all, if you're an ADHD creative, like just create an offline <laughs> photo bank of images. And then also just sketching is always helpful too for me. But I literally had the whole concept for that event figured out in like 24 hours. And that's where anybody that's read, um, what is Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic? Yes. That so for good. me is, yeah, the Zappos event for me, the Wonderless Tent, I just was like, that was not me. It did not come from me. The universe literally gave me that idea. And then through various partners who helped contribute to that, it just, it came together. And that final product, it was like so much what was in my head in that first 24 hours. So that was really exciting from just a creative inspiration and like watching the universe work. Um, and then the second project that stands out to me was an activation that we did actually for Mike's Hard Lemonade last year. They had a new product called The Freeze that was launching. It's out on shelves now, <laughs> but it was meant to be like this throwback libation and the the drinks were all named for the colors. And so they had this whole 90s tie-in because Mike's had started in the 90s as well. And it was so fun. We did a house takeover in LA and we essentially lived there for three weeks while we were prepping the house. And then the, the house lived for a month and they had a sweepstakes that was tied in with the activation. They had influencers that came to film content and they also hosted an industry event. So that was really fun because we would, the first three weeks that we were there, which by the way, we never planned on, we were just looking at our travel budget and trying to figure out how to save a bunch of money. And we were like, well, we have a four bedroom house. We could probably just pay. <laughs> yes. So that was just really fun because we had a longer lead time and actually got to live in one of our event spaces. It sounds so, it sounds so MTV or something. I am a child from the nineties. And so it was also fun because the whole theme was this nineties throwback. 
And so we just had all these 90s nods and we even bought clothes to fill the closets with. It was just a lot of fun. It was just play. It was just so much play. Kind of pivoting a little bit back into experiential marketing and the future of it. What do you think the future looks like for it? And even diving into it based on the metaverse and how that can play into that as well. I think the metaverse will definitely have its place. I think where we are right now, I'm most likely seeing it, at least for the near future, you know, as an extension of events, because I think brands are really going to enjoy, especially for the larger activations when people either can't travel, you know, for one reason or another, there's still some way to be a part of that experience. Um, Not to mention there might be, um, you know, some ticket costs that you can charge for things like that. Um, So I think that that it's going to continue to live on. But I think that right now coming out of COVID and everybody being um, so eager to engage in real life, I don't see real life events going away anytime soon. I think that still is going to kind of be the foundation. I will, I don't know. I will be curious. I, you know, again, I don't want to date myself too much, but the technology piece of it is not what has traditionally captivated me as much. And I would say throughout my career, I've gone a little bit more by gut and less by necessarily what I should do. Um, so maybe I should be a little bit more involved in the metaverse. Um Luckily, we've got a couple of folks on our team who are very technology driven. Um, And so I think we will continue to explore it. I definitely think AI is something that we are already starting to play around with. Yeah. And um, just figure out the best way to use it. You know, I think most of these things are they're all tools. You know, the metaverse is a tool for a brand to extend an event or to have an event online and and you get to bring it into real life. Um, so I think it'll have its, its time and its place, but yeah, AI definitely we're getting plugged in. We're trying to learn more and, um, but I, I see a little for the future of events and or the future of experiential marketing, I should say, what I see kind of happening is this blurred line between like a traditional storefront or like a traditional space and an event that as products are more readily available online and you don't necessarily need to bring people into a store that stores have to actually move a little bit more towards experiential because that's what's going to pull people out like you're not coming to get a can of dog food but like you might come to do a dog training class and um you know you're not and and additionally like kind of paired with that is for a lot of the brands that we work with, where we are creating these amenity VIP lounge spaces that we can create longer term hospitality spaces where they get to provide a service for guests at airports or at food and wine festivals where there are no restrooms and, or, you know, there's limited restrooms with GA and you yeah. want a cleaner, more high end restroom experience. Um, that they can kind of plus up those experiences. So I see I'll just in general, a lot more blurring of lines between traditional hospitality and traditional retail storefronts and events. I see them kind of merging together. Yeah, I love that. And I, I agree with you on the in-person because 
like you said at the beginning of the podcast, like you said, it's a living, breathing organism, essentially, that you are curating for brand. You're bringing it to life as if it was like, this is your avatar in real life that right. these people are getting to experience. And while it is really fun to, you know, play around with AI and metaverse and all these other tools, there's something that you just cannot like replicate when it comes to in real life experiences, which is right. kind of like the fun part. I mean, that's why you have, you know, your company and you're able to bring these beautiful experiences to everybody, which is so fun. Um, do you have any words of wisdom or even advice that you would be able to give to someone who's working in a similar space or wanting to experiment in a similar space as you? I think just being not just curious, but I'm not going to say aggressively curious, but ambitiously curious. So I think it's something I wish I was a little bit more intentional about earlier in my career was to show up and to be in awe. Um, so like on Harry Potter, I got to meet and several times Stuart Craig, who's the production designer on the films. And in hindsight, I'm like, why didn't I ask him all about his career and what it took for him to get here? Um, I love it when people ask me, you know, how I got to here with Crush. So what I would encourage younger folks or anybody, you know, getting into more creative work to do is worry less about looking like you have all of the answers or that you have it all figured out and just be more willing to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and to ask what you don't know or to let yourself be inspired by people or other what other brands are doing or what other artists are doing. Um, so that would be one piece. And then the other, I read a book by Angela Duckworth Grit um, a few years ago and I was like, oh my gosh, this should be given to every college kid. And I, I really do think it's been the setbacks in my career. It was getting laid off after 9-11, getting laid off after the 2008 financial crisis. That when COVID happened, I knew that it would change the trajectory of Crush. But both times that that happened to me before, it ultimately changed my, my career for the better, like by leaps and bounds. And so as hard as our setbacks were in the events world based on COVID, I knew that it would eventually turn out okay because, you know, that had already happened. And so I think just really digging down, first of all, read grit, um, but then just really <laughs> digging down, finding your sense of resilience. And that if you get negative feedback in a review or you get negative feedback from a boss or a coworker, and, you know, sometimes there's always things that we can dismiss that, you know, somebody's having a bad day and they're like venting on me or whatever, but just taking the feedback for whatever it's worth and figuring out how to use it to sharpen your pencil and to improve your tools and skill sets. So yeah, be ambitiously curious and just build a sense of resilience. Nice. I love that. Uh, we asked these three questions to everyone who's been on the podcast. Uh, the first is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Well, I have a little bit of an addiction to designing and building things. And so I bought a duplex and have been fixing it up. But I became a landlord for the first time. <laughs> and I don't know if I would do it again. I think I thought it would be. So I, when I was transitioning from full-time um, staff to freelancing, and then what later, you know, ended up becoming crush, I Airbnb'd my condo 
And, or not my condo. It was just an apartment at the time. I Airbnb'd my apartment and I loved it because I do hospitality for a living in a sense. And I, I just really had so much fun doing it. And so I was like, well, this is great. Like I can totally be a landlord, but you know, fixing up a place while running a company and then also trying to be a landlord because I'm not using a property management company has been interesting and overwhelming. You learn a lot about human psychology. <laughs> I make lot, I make lots of mistakes, but I'm getting, getting through it. Yeah. So. But you're someone that takes those mistakes and just yeah. turns them so positive. Plus I'm living in the other side. And so, you know, worst case scenario, I'm fixing up my places as I go. So yeah, yeah, I get a cute, I get a cute place to live out of it. <laughs> yeah. And landlord plus neighbor is like a mm -hmm. lot. That's a lot of responsibility you're taking on. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting situation, but our next question is, if you were invited to a show and tell right now, is there an object that you think you would bring and why? I think I would take my toolkit. It's a collective object. So I'm skirting it a little bit, but there's this uh, idea of knolling, taking knolling photos, which goes back to knoll furniture and like the janitor at night would take all of like their drawing supplies and like lay them out on a table and like take these overhead pictures of them. And it's something that you'll see artists and designers do from time to time. And I just love like taking everything out of the toolkit and like seeing, you know, well, actually this is kind of, I mean, I didn't stage this, but it's like, here's a roll of hot pink gaff tape, <laughs> you know, my tape measures right here. I would say the things in my toolkit and like my small condensed toolkit, they almost feel like my friends and they're just our like trusty go-to objects. And in fact, one of, for Valentine's Day every year, we send our client appreciation gifts. So we just skip the holidays because it's a crazy time for us. And plus, I just don't think you really stand out. And um, we all love a bottle of wine, but it gets a little bit lost, you know. So we do Valentine's Day gifts every year. And uh, I should add that our logo for Crush is a heart. So we send these out. And what we did this year was a like appreciation book. And it was for a few of our mainstays in our life, our mailman, we have an office mate here, our landlord, but we also did like love letters to gaff tape and zip ties <laughs> and killer. Yeah, We have this tape called Killer Red, which by the way, is not red at all. It's very deceiving. But um, so it's kind of almost like an inside joke about how much we love our tools and supplies. Yeah. And they have so many stories. There's, it's such like a rich, that's a great show and tell. That might be top five show and tells of all time. <laughs> I also think, so one of my early inspirations, I really loved the Babysitter's Club. I wasn't like a cool kid. Like I was like a super dorky kid. And so, yeah, I was reading the Babysitter's Club. I was 11 years old and tried to start my own Babysitter's Club after my Just Say No to Drugs Club failed, unfortunately. I'm so sorry, Nancy Reagan. Um, not because we were all doing drugs, just, you know, just really didn't there weren't any drugs to say no to when you're 11 years old. So. <laughs> um, anyway, Pixie my sticks, club, candy. <laughs> I know. My babysitter's club that I started, we would like make these kits kind of based on the book. And it was like coloring books and all this stuff. And I was so excited about little kids and babysitting and everything. And I have thought so many times, I'm like, I may have a design and production company just so I can like put together toolkits. Like <laughs> I just, same reason I love camping. I love this idea of like this Girl Scout mentality of like always being prepared and like, you know, how much can I be ready for on site that I didn't anticipate? So it feels like there's a business yeah, opportunity there it. to like 
organize yeah. and streamlines people's like tools and and you know like some sort oh, of yeah. Maria Kondo thing, but for like yes. a garage. I'm thinking of my garage right now because it's just a nightmare. Oh, it's hard. Because we end up with so much random stuff. I mean, we have like a whole bin that's just labeled sequins. And it's like, <laughs> because we're always using new materials. And then, and I'm like, why do we still have a bin named sequins? We haven't used the sequins, which they're this shiny wall material. And I'm like, we haven't used those in like five years. But I was like, but you never know. We might need them next year. So I'm a hoarder. Yeah. But I like to have organized hoarding. So. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Uh, yeah. And our final question is uh, if you were to meet yourself at a younger age, what piece of advice do you think you would give? There's a Steve Jobs quote, I'm going to butcher it here, but it's about, you know, just trusting in a higher being, whatever it is for you, and knowing that all of the dots in your life eventually connect. And I think when I look back, um, and again, going back to the adversity, every time there's been a setback or I've tried something new, you know, when I was laid off in 2008, I was working for a job doing, he owned a small business and I was doing his QuickBooks, his, um, in his office management for him. And I, this was after I had worked at Universal and this was after, you know, my museum design work. And so I just was like, oh my gosh, like I am doing this all wrong. Like we're going, you're going the wrong way. Um, to just not worry so much about your career being so linear all the time, every second. We are so obsessed with like climbing corporate ladders. And I think you get cold, golden handcuffs if that's all you're focused on. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if you have an experience, uh, if you have an opportunity to between jobs to try out maybe something different as a freelancer or, or some lesser paying work. You know, when I was during COVID, I told one of my friends that she was a stager. I was like, I'll come work for you for a day. I was like, I will totally come be your assistant. I will be the best assistant. And so just whatever you're doing, just, you know, give it your all. Be the best assistant if you're the assistant. Um, but yeah, just trust that all of the dots connect and bring up full circle with the QuickBooks. It's like, I didn't know at the time that eventually I would be starting my own company and that having, you know, a little introductory experience with QuickBooks would actually be very helpful. And, you know, I remember having to call the bank and, or hold payroll because he didn't have enough money, you know, to run payroll one week. And it's like, so now when I see cash flow getting a little bit low, it's like, it's okay. It's all right. Like, yeah. So, yeah. I yeah. love Just that. Just hang advice. on tight. It all connects eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I got that advice early on. And I think it was because I was in my 20s. I, I thought I was taking like a step down in some job I took. And I had a friend that was like, life isn't linear. Like everything will only yes. add to who you are and not subtract. Every experience will just give you more uh, of what it means to be alive. And, and, and I love how humble both of your pieces of advice are. I feel like both are like, yeah. you know, I've heard the term failing forward uh, or like when things go wrong, like a lot of times it gives you more tools uh, to be a yeah. better person in the future, uh, even though it's like shattering and and, and hard. Um, yeah. But I love that. Uh, I'm wondering yeah, if- Yeah, I think- No, please go, go ahead. Well, I was just, I was just gonna add one other piece to that. Bre Brene Brown uses the Teddy Roosevelt quote about 
uh, daring greatly and about mm-hmm. it's when I have massive fuck ups. Am I allowed to say fuck ups? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Okay. When I have massive <laughs> fuck ups, sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. Um, I just remind myself, yeah, it's because you're doing things. It's because you're in the arena. And so if you're failing, it means you're trying. And I know it sounds, you know, we hear it so many times, but I really think about that Teddy Roosevelt quote a lot. Where can people check out Crush and some of the amazing work that you guys have done? Instagram, our handle is crush underscore studio. And our website is crushstudio.com. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely having you on. I encourage everyone to check out Crush. They've done some amazing, amazing work. Uh, And hire them if you have an amazing experience that you want brought to life. Thanks for the plug. (laughs) No, this was super fun. I love nerding out about this stuff and um, just really enjoyed talking with both of you. So thank you so much. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.